Okay, so it's been a little while since I've been up here. So be patient. It's like riding a bike, right? All comes back to you quick. Um, can we turn that one light on back there in the back? I like light. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity that we have to come into your house, to be in your presence, to be led and taught of you, to hear from your Holy Spirit. And Father, I yield myself over to you, spirit, soul, and body, and I ask that you would speak through me. I ask, Father God, that the Holy Spirit would anoint the words that I bring forth, that you would lead, guide, and direct everything that is said, Father God. I pray for those in the congregation and those who will hear, Father God. I just ask that the Holy Spirit would anoint their ears, that they would hear, that he would open their hearts, that they would receive. And I just give you praise and thanks, Father God, that everything that needs to be said will come out perfectly, Father God. I thank you that you perfect all that concerns us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I want to open with one scripture, but I'm going to have you guys turn to a different one. Um, we're going to hang out in Luke chapter 5. So go ahead and um, open to Luke chapter 5. Um, we're going to look at starting at verse 17. But while you guys are turning there, I want you to hear this scripture, and I want you to kind of think about this all through the whole thing that we're going to talk about today. And that scripture is uh, John chapter 8, and it's verse 32. And it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that is the backbone of what we're going to be talking about today. But we're going to look at it from a whole different perspective from something that's going on here in Luke. Now, before we even get any further than that, these are my cheaters. Okay? You all know the scripture. It says... Uh, you know, Moses, when he was older, his natural forces were not abated and his eyes weren't dimmed, right? Okay, so I'm kind of believing for that. But for now, sometimes I need cheaters. So if you see me put them on, don't be shocked, okay? You can just pray for me, right? All right. Okay, so you all found Luke chapter 5, right? Okay, so we're going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read this whole thing and then... Literally, we're going to hang out right here in, in this, and we're going to really break this down and look at various aspects of it. So in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it says, It came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, this being Jesus, uh, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in on a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find any way, they brought him in because of the multitude. They went up to the housetop, and they led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering unto them and said, Why do you reason so in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said to the man sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, and take your couch, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, he took that which upon he lay, and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they all glorified God, saying, with, with great fear, we have seen strange things today. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Well, it can be. It should be. Um, we're going we're gonna to start all the way back up at the very, very top. 
I want to um, break down kind of verse by verse how, how this uh, all comes into being and share a little bit with you on it. Um, in the very beginning, it, it mentions that there was a group of people that were there, and they came from all of the region, everywhere all around, and all of the Pharisees were there, and all of the doctors of the law were there. And when it's talking about the Pharisees, it's talking about a very religious sect. They um, had a, a group of, they were a group of people that not only took the law, but they also had a, a thousand other laws, a thousand other things that they tried to keep on a daily basis. They were things that were added to the word. They were things that were not necessarily given in the law of Moses. Um, they were the extreme religious people. They were the ones who walked around in all the fran fancy dress and they loved the attention of men. They wanted all, all of the attention and they just, they just loved the adoration of the people. Now the other people that are here that are called the doctors of the law. And it's actually a pretty good uh, description of them because they're the people, like in, in our uh, educational system now, you would have an associate's degree, you would have a bachelor's degree, you would have a master's degree, and you think, man, that's a long time because it's two years to get an associate's, two years to get a bachelor's, two more years to get a master's. And then you have these people that are called doctors. And they're the ones who went beyond the master's into the doctorate level, and that's what these people were. These were the people that had given their entire lives to the study of the, of the word. They had given everything that they had. They were the ones that when you needed to know what this little subsection of subsection of subsection was, they were the ones who knew it off the top of their head without even thinking about it. So they were not so much very religious, but very, very educated. These were the people that just, I mean, they really felt that they knew God more than anybody else. They didn't just know God, they knew what his intents were. They knew what his thoughts were. They knew what he was going to do. They were very secure in what was going on. Now, all of a sudden, 30-some-odd years ago, this man starts to rise up and, and get noticed. And he's going around this whole area, and he's hanging out with fishermen, and he's calling tax collectors, and he's doing everything that they think that God would never do. And he's having a meeting. And so what did they do? They decided to come to this church meeting. They all gathered from all their regions. So, you know, back then they didn't have phones. They didn't, you know, couldn't just call up and say, hey, I'm going to this meeting. You need to come to this meeting. We're going to make a show of force, and we're going to put this guy back in his place. There's been a, a, an uprising of this guy named Jesus, and we're going to just show him that we know God, and he doesn't. That we're of God, and he isn't. That we know the word, and he doesn't. But yet everywhere that he went, he was healing people. Everywhere that he went, people were flocking to him. Everywhere that he went, demons were fleeing, which had never been seen before. Everywhere that he went, captives were being set free. Light was coming, and it was dispelling darkness. And when you read in John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that the darkness had no power to comprehend it. He couldn't, it couldn't crush what the light of God was doing. So everywhere God was going, everywhere Jesus was going, he was bringing liberty. And what was he doing? He was just speaking truth. He was simply speaking truth. His messages weren't so deep and so revelatory. They weren't filled with great big huge words that people had to go home and get out their concordance and their dictionary to figure out what he was even saying. He was just simply speaking the truth of God. He was simply saying, God loves you. God cares about you. God wants to heal you. God has a covenant with you. You can have a covenant relationship with him. 
God doesn't want to punish you. God wants to bless you. God wants to bring you to the promised land, which is what they were really, they knew a lot about. That was what their whole history was about. God had made a promise to Abraham, you're going to have this land. And their whole promise was, we need to get this land back. We need, to have the, we need to have a place of our own. We need to have a relationship with God. And he was directing them back into the simplicity of Christ. And what was happening was, to confirm the word, God was performing signs, wonders, and miracles all around him, everywhere he was going. People that were paralyzed were walking. People that were sick, demon-tormented. You know, remember that guy that came up off the boat and Jesus came and he landed on the boat and the man who hung out in the tombs was there and he came running out to him and Jesus set him completely free and he said, I want to come with you. I want to go with you. I want to preach the word with you. I want to be with you. And he said, no. He said, the most important thing, the best thing that you can do is go back to your homeland. Go back to where you were. Live your life and tell of the good things that God has done for you. He could have come with him but it wouldn't have been the right place, it wouldn't have been the right time, and it wouldn't have been as powerful as a witness because everybody in his homeland knew this guy was totally crazy. He, he couldn't even be clothed. This guy was running around naked, living in tombs and graveyards, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy walking back into their town, looking normal, wearing clothes, and talking about the goodness of God. What kind of change do you think came to that area based on that witness that that guy had? So here's the Pharisees, here's the doctors of the law, and they're all in this house. Now, um, there's three different accounts of this that scholars uh, say that this is all the same thing. It's found in uh, Mark chapter 2. It's also found in Matthew chapter 9, and the one that we're reading here in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, I like this one because it talks about the setting that he's in. In the rest of them, it, it doesn't mention that they, he's in a house. It's actually saying that he's coming off of a ship. But in this one, he's talking about that he's in a house, and I think that that's kind of important because Jesus wants to be in your house. I'm not used to talking this much. I'm going to school, and I'm learning to, to be a counselor. And you learn to listen. So this is the antithesis of that. <laughs> Amen? Okay. So the, the, the Pharisees, when they came, the reason that they came, they just wanted to hear the message and critique it. They just wanted to see what this guy was and point out every flaw that he did. They were coming to hear the word, but not to hear the word, but to criticize the word. They were coming to not just be receivers of the word, to, to feel the power of God. They didn't even know that the power of God was there. And yet the Bible says specifically, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Amen. When you look that up in the Greek, it, it means that it was active. God's power for healing was active in this meeting. And the place was packed. I mean, wow, get a vision of that. The man of God's up preaching. The place is packed. You can't even get in. Now, it's filled with all these people from all over the place that really don't even want to be there. They're there for the wrong reasons. And one of the things that when I was studying this, this out, the Lord really told me people can get in the way of things that you want to see, that you want to receive, and you want to accomplish for God. So be careful who you're surrounding yourself with. 
Jesus was trying to minister to people. He, the power of the Lord was present to heal, yet he wasn't doing any, any great miracles. He was teaching. He was in their midst, and he, and he was expounding to them. Because you always have hope. Something that you say, God is so good. Something that you say, we'll get through to somebody. Something that you say will change their lives. You know, uh, Kenneth Copeland always had this thing when we used to go to his meetings, and he would say, one word from God can change your life forever. And it's really true. Because when, when the word of God is preached and it goes forward and you receive it in your heart, it explodes in your heart and it creates a, a new image of what's possible. Until, until faith comes, until you actually receive that word of God and it, let that word of God develop in you and, and grow in you and bring forth a, a harvest, bring forth a, a fruit, a crop. It's just a seed. I think about... Um, this, at this time right now, if you go into the stores, they're starting to put out seeds because springtime's about, you know, starting to come. And normally already by now, man, it's, things are ready to grow, right? But if you ever go into a store, like if you go into Walmart and you go into the garden section, they have this great big huge thing. It's all these bags of seeds, but you know, none of them are growing. Not one of them. It's not in the right condition. They're just in bags. They're ready. All the potential is there. All of the fruit is there. All of the harvest is there. God's already spoken that it will happen. But it takes some sort of action. It takes some sort of planning. It's going to take some watering. It's going to take some cultivation. It's going to take some weeding out of things. But the Pharisees weren't interested in any of that. They weren't looking for a harvest. What they were looking for was, was a way to, to say, I'm right and you're wrong. That's what pride always says. I'm right and you're wrong. I'm good and you're not. I'm better than you. And that's not at all what Jesus was about. But there was four people who came to this meeting, actually five, that came with a whole different intent. In Mark's gospel, it says that this uh, paralytic came, this man who was suffering from the palsy. His four friends brought him. They carried him on his couch, which was basically just a bed. And they didn't have a wheelchair. They couldn't wheel him in. There was no special handicap section for him. The crowd didn't disperse for him. In fact, they just were not willing to give up their spot. There was no special opening up in the front so that the paralytic you know, guy could, you know, now if you go to a meeting, they have wheelchair sections. Oh, we're going to put you over here. But it's usually off to the side and towards the back, or if it's a healing meeting, it's right in the front. There's none of that going on here. And yet the power of the Lord was present to heal. Jesus was having a healing meeting. And the person who needed the healing the most was kept out. He was, he was pushed to the back. That shows you what religion is about. That, to me, just is an apt description of what religion is, because religion is more interested in, in judging than it is of seeing the power of God working. That's why I like this church, because we're not a bunch of religious fanatics. <laughs> we may be labeled as such, <laughs> but... I believe that we're genuinely interested in seeing the power of God on display. I believe that we're genuinely interested in seeing and, and feeling the presence of God, of having his power work, of seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you, Pastor Peggy said so many times at that, that time that she preached on the, you know, raising the dead, and people left, and they were like, she's going to go out and, and go into the graveyard, and well, you know what, there was expectation there at least. The Pharisees didn't have any of that. So people had packed the house. The power of the Lord was present to heal.
They couldn't, these four guys came, they came in faith, they had their friend. He was, he was suffering from the palsy. Now, the palsy, does anybody know what that is? We read it all, all the time. The palsy was basically just being paralyzed. The thing about um, the palsy was it also involved tremors, uncontrollable tremors. So here's this guy. He's on this bed. They come to the place. The place is packed. Now, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians nowadays would come and they would say, oh, there's no parking. We're going to go home. Oh, we can't get in the door. There's no seat. You know, it just wasn't meant to be. God just really didn't want me here today, right? That would be me. I'll just be honest. Maybe it won't be you and you guys can pray for me, but that would be me. I like creature comforts, right? I like the chairs. Christine and I went, and we went to a thing for, for Jason, and it was an award ceremony, and we went, and it was in a church, and we got there, and, you know, it's a big church, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chairs, but there's also hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. So we went early. We got a chair, and this usher came up, and he said, you can't sit here. This is reserved for the people who are receiving the awards. I said, okay, we'll move. So we moved over to this other spot, and this other usher comes up to us, and they said, you can't sit here. This is reserved for the people who are getting their rewards. You have to sit over there where we originally were. By that time, it had filled up. So we're looking for two chairs in a place with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chairs, and there's none. So for the next three, three hours or so, we stood against the back window. But why did we do that? Because we wanted to be there. We wanted to partake in what was being given. We wanted to be a witness to what was happening. And it was awesome. It wasn't easy. <laughs> there was many, many times where it was like, man, I just want to go home. But there was something that was going to be part, distributed there that we wanted to see. And that's what I think of when I think of this church. You know, when, when people were, were there and, and Jesus was up front and there's all these people and these guys come and they're like, nothing is going to dissuade us from, from getting what we want. We've come with a mission, we've come with a purpose, and it's going to happen. So what are we going to do? we got this guy who can't move at all. He's just laying on the bed, and every now and then he's twitching, and his arms are moving, and his legs are kicking. What do we do? Well, let's go to the roof. Right? Okay, so there's a little, usually on, on houses in those days, there's stone walls, and the tops are made open, and there's lumber that's put across the top. Now, it's not like lumber like we would get now. It's, you know, cut and, yeah. all right, picture that. And then the way that they made the roofs was they would lay down palm leaves. They would put thorn branches over that. And then they would bring dirt and gravel. And then they would bring this thing like a big roller, and they would roll it all out, right? So if you have soil and you have plants and plants have seeds, what do you think would happen? Yeah, how many of you would like to have a house where you had to go mow your roof? But that's what houses were like back then. So I found this really interesting, and, and I kind of want to share it with you. Um, in Psalms 129, verse 6, let's, let's do a little bunny rabbit trail and go over there. I'll read to you a couple. Talking about these roofs. Um, Psalms 129, verse 6, it says, Let them be as grass upon the housetops, Whereof it grows up, where the mower fills not his hand and binds the sheaves in his, in his bosoms. That's talking specifically about that grass that grows on the house. Okay, did you ever, see, ever think of that before? That's something I'd never seen before. 
Um, you can also find that in 2 Kings 19.26 and also in Isaiah 37.27. Now, this one I found interesting. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 6 real quick in verse 19. I think the Bible's really interesting when you, cons- when you read it and you consider it in the light in which it was written, in the culture in which it was written, in the time in which it was written. A lot of the things that they say that we would just blow right over because it's not part of our time really had outstanding meaning to them. Um, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, Lay up for yourselves not um, treasures upon the earth where moth does rust, and our, where moth and rust does not corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. When he was talking about breaking through and stealing, what he was talking about was people that were robbers in those days, they would want to break into houses, but the houses had stone walls and big, thick, you know, huge doors. So how do you think they got through? They would go up to the roof, they would move the lumber, and then they would dig through all the gravel and all the dirt, and then they would just drop down into the house. You know, in Proverbs, where it's, talk, it's talking about uh, being with a contentious woman is, you know, like the continual dripping of water. It's actually a reference to this, because what do you think happens with a roof like that when it rains? It used to be people, you know, in, in those days, it was a common custom that travelers would come. And they would just come to your door and you would invite them in and you didn't know them. They were just traveling through and they would just put you in a room. There was usually a room somewhere in the house. And if it was raining, it was dripping. Well, then they would move them. So that was a very, very vivid picture for them to to consider. So anyways, here's these guys. We've got this paralytic friend. We're going to take him on his bed up to the roof and then we're going to dig through the roof right in front of Jesus. We're going to lower him down Right, because that's the only room in front of the whole whole place. So here we are. We're sitting in church. Pastor Dave's up here teaching, and all of a sudden, you start seeing dirt drop from the roof, and you wonder, well, what's up there? Is some goat climb up there eating the grass that's up there, or what? Well, now then, big old dirt clods start dropping. Pretty soon, you hear the lumber shifting. Well, how distracting would that be? I mean, I, I think about Jesus. He's preaching the power of the present. The power of the Lord is present to heal. He's teaching to a congregation that really doesn't even want to hear what he has to say. So when you're teaching, I'll just tell you, when people aren't involved in what you're teaching, you, you know it. You can feel it. It's a wall that hits you. And, you know, have you ever prayed and felt like your prayer is hitting the roof and it's just coming right back down? It goes this way, too. Okay. You guys aren't that way. Amen. 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 <laughs> you guys aren't that way. But so here's Jesus. He's, he's teaching. All of a sudden, the roof gets broken open. Well, you can't let anything stop you from getting in front of Jesus when you need a miracle. And that's the same today as it was then. No matter what it took, these people were going to, to get him in front of Jesus because there really was no other hope for this guy. Medical doctors could do nothing. There was no, you know, we're going to take him down here to, you know, the best hospital and he's going to get the best treatment. There was none of that. Back then, their, their whole medical system was based on, you know, we're going to mix this leaf and this thing. And it was weak potions. We're going to, we're going to take this, you know, this berry and we're going to mash it all up and we're going to put it with this leaf and then we're going to make this paste and we're going to put it on you and it'll, it'll heal you somehow. That was their medical thing of the day. 
but yet Jesus is the healer and the power of the Lord is present to heal in the house. They're not going to let people get in their way. They're not going to be stopped. They're not going to let a roof get in the way. They're not going to let fear of taking this guy up on the roof get in the way. And I really like in verse 20, I mean, we're going to get there, but, but let's go there anyways right now. Um, Luke chapter 5. Verse 20, when Jesus said, saw that um, they were lowering him down, he said, he saw their faith, and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. I think that it's great that Jesus saw their faith. When you're doing something for God, when you're doing something, it gets God's attention. When, you, when you're actively pursuing faith, you know, uh, James talks about uh, faith, right? Faith, faith without works and, you know, show me your, your works and I'll show you my faith. And without some sort of corresponding action, your faith is dead. Now, we sit in church and we hear the word come every week. Two, three pastors are in church all week this week. Pastors and John and Whitney, they're going to have just the word coming to them and their faith is going to be arising. But if they don't do anything to activate that faith, then that faith is in vain. But we are not of those people. Right? Let me say that again. We are not of those people. Right? We are not of those who draw back. We are not the sons of perdition. We are those who act upon our faith. We are those who, who will plant the seeds, not just leave them on the shelf. We are those who want that harvest. We want to see God moving. We know that he will. Amen. Okay, so let's continue. So what, do you, what is it going to take to get in front of Jesus? Let me digress just slightly. Who are the four friends that, if you were in this guy's situation, would drag you up to a rooftop and drop you down? A lot of people. Boy, if you've been on Facebook and you've seen these people, they've got 6,000 friends and 4,000 friends and, and so many followers. How many of those are real friends? I have a, I have, I've had Facebook for, I don't know, six, seven years. And I have like 150 friends. But out of those 150 friends, I would say there's probably maybe three that I actually make contact with on a regular basis. And a lot of them are family. See, you're not always going to have somebody that, you know, you would call a friend that is going to be willing to go that extra mile for you. And that is why it's important that you, that you come to church. Because these are the people who have the faith that will take you to the rooftop. These are the people who will get with you in the situations that are beyond your control, who will help you. So I said I started school, right? Right? My greatest fear, and you all know this because I've talked about it, is math. I hate math. With a purple passion, I hate math. So when I first found out, okay, I'm going to go back to school, my initial thing was I was going to go to school and I was going to take human, human services classes. And you know the whole reason I was really involved in that and I thought that was great? Well, it, it did what I wanted to do. It was counseling. 
I, that's, that's where my heart's at. But the, the greatest part of the whole thing was I didn't have to take math. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, man. But then I, I was in class, and they got, I got some instruction that you didn't necessarily like to hear. If I wanted to go to where I really wanted to go, I was going to have to take all of these general ed classes, including math. And then I went, well, okay, so i got to take this START test, and it puts you in a placement. And, in, and then I was like, Okay, so I go in and I take the test, and I'm thinking, I just got to do, you know, addition, subtraction. There's no problem. I, I do this every day. So I'm taking the test, and I come upon this thing, and it says X equals. I don't even know what that means. X to me meant multiply. I don't know what to do. So I scored a 27 on my AccuPlacer, and I had to go to Algebra 1 which Algebra 1 is a prerequisite to Algebra 2, which is a core requirement. It's for general ed, just so you guys know. And then after that, got to take stats. I was ready to quit. I don't, that's how much I don't like math. I was ready to quit. But what did I, what did I do? I said, okay, God, I believe that you've called me to do this. What am I going to do? He said, utilize resources. I said, okay, who do I pay? <laughs> That's not it. Utilize resources. So they offer tutoring. Okay, well, that's going to take time. That's going to take a commitment. I know I'm going to have to study because I don't know any of this. And I better reach out and find somebody who knows. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> you guys don't even know. I was calling Heather like, all the time. <laughs> Heather is a blessing. Amen. 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 She's back there going, yeah, okay. <laughs> Heather is a blessing. Because I'd be doing my homework and I'd be stumped and I have an answer key and I'd look on the answer and I'd go, how did they come up with that? <laughs> the thing I don't like about math is you do the one thing wrong, 14 steps later, you come up with an answer and you're like, yeah, I got it. And then you look and it's like two. I'm like, what do you mean two? I came up with like 3,000. You know, what is going on here? But the thing about Heather is she speaks that language. So she would write it out. I would send her a picture of it. She would send me a picture back with the answer, and I'd look and go, oh, that's so simple. How come I couldn't get that? I don't speak that language. But because I reached out, found somebody who would help me, found a friend, a true friend, who didn't say, man, how come you're not smart enough to get this? Why didn't you learn this in high school? Why are you so dumb? You know all the things that the enemy tries to condemn you with? Every one of those things, that's just a natural experience and a natural expression of them. God will never, ever do that. God will always direct you to somebody, or he will just tell you how to do it. He will reveal things to you. He doesn't offer condemnation. He doesn't make you feel dumb. He doesn't say, well, how'd you get yourself into this situation? He already knows. He says, I'm just glad to hear that you're interested in getting out of it. So let's get you out of it. So, hey, good news. Amen. Past Algebra 1. <laughs> Up to that point, I'd had a 4.0. I'm pretty proud of that. I got in Algebra 1. Heather helped me so, so much. By the end of it, 
I took my final and I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll get a B. I got an A in Algebra 1. I was like, unbelievable. Went to Algebra 2. My very first class in Algebra 2 had it with Jason. He can testify to this. They said, okay, we're going to take a, a test to see what you learned, to see what you retained. And I stared at that test for 10 minutes without writing a single thing because I had forgotten every single thing that I had learned. Everything. Within two weeks of that class, I'm like, forget this. I'm quitting. I'm dropping out of this class. I'll do it later. I've already found a way that I can do something else. I'm going to move forward in a whole different direction. But, you know, when God's not leading it, it's like you're coming against a roof. You're coming against a brick wall. And you can dig and dig and dig and dig and dig, but you ain't ever going to find the end of it. And so finally I just had to say, okay, what do I need to do? Tap into resources. So I'm doing homework, and I'm going in, and I'm asking Jason, hey, what does this mean? And he's going, math again? But it took time. It took effort. And eventually, guess what? I dug through that, and I passed that too. Now I'm on to stats. Woo! <laughs> whatever you need to do, whatever you need from God, you can do it. But I'm going to tell you right now, you better have some people around you who will support you. You better have some friends who are willing to grab the corner of the mat when you're paralyzed with fear and take you and dig through anything that it takes and get you in front of Jesus so you can get your answer. Because that's the only way you're going to make it. And pride, just like all these Pharisees, is the thing that will say, well, I can do this on my own. I don't really need anybody. I, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm taught in all things. Yeah, that's true. But you better get friends around you who will support you because I guarantee you, without question and without doubt, there will come a time where you'll be sitting there alone and your faith will be weak and you better have somebody who can speak the word to you. You better have somebody who will encourage you. You better have somebody who will say, hey, this is the truth. Because, I don't know, I don't know how you guys are, but I like to tell myself I could do these things. And I don't really need help. But sometimes you really do. Right? Okay, so those are our four friends. So, what did they come to Jesus for? They've now broke through this roof, lowered him down, stopped the whole meeting... And what did they come to Jesus for? For the healing of this man, right? Now it's going to happen. Our friend is laying in front of Jesus. Jesus is the healer. The power of the Lord is present to heal him. And what does Jesus say? Wow, I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven you. What? That's not what we came for. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever prayed for something and something else happened? Have you ever said, I want to do this, and God said, fine, go do this, and it doesn't seem like it's anything at all related or close? Have you ever said, I want to be a counselor and had to go take a math class? <laughs> Why did he do that? We've always been taught that, that sin is missing the mark, right? Right? Okay, so I looked, at, looked up the word sin in the Thayer's Dictionary for um, New Testament words. And the word um, sin, you know, it does mean miss the mark. That's the second definition of it. It means to be without a share in. It means to, um, to make a mistake or to, to be an error. It means 
to miss or wander from passive uprightness and, and honor, and it means to be in violation of God's law. This man, we don't know why he was paralyzed. We don't know why he had the palsy. But something about the Pharisees, you know, we talked about how they had all these different ideas and different laws and stuff. One of the basic tenets of being a Pharisee was that they believed doctrinally that if you were sick, there was something wrong with you. Somewhere along the line, whether you or your parents or some distant relative or somebody who had died who was in your heritage had committed sin, and that sin was so grievous in the sight of God that you were punished for it. Do you know that doctrine still exists today? It's unbelievable to me. But people still say, oh, well, he's in a wheelchair. You know, God must hate him. Oh, he's got, you know, something wrong with him. You see little, little kids and, and you know, they have, you know, some, some retardation or something. And you're just like, oh, I wonder what, what's wrong with him. You know, God, God did that. Nothing could be further from the truth. But yet that doctrine has been going on forever. And it's still taught by religions today. So um, turn with me real quick. We're going to look at um, John chapter 9, a couple of verses. And let's see, verses 2 and 3. It says, and his disciples asked him, well, we'll start at verse 1. It says, Jesus when he passed by, he saw a young man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Just because he's blind. Who did sin? This man or was it his parents? And he said, Neither. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. When, when Jesus is, is saying the works of God, the word that he's actually saying when he says works is occupation. It's God's job to heal people. It isn't because of sin that somebody has some defect. Sometimes it's just the enemy. Sometimes it's just a circumstance or a situation. We don't always understand why things are the way that they are. You know, the Bible says, Paul, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, we see in part and we know in part. We don't know the whole story. We don't know the background. But we do know the healer. We do know that with God all things are possible. We do know that, that Jesus uh, came and, and was made manifest on this earth that he might destroy the works of Satan. We do know that when Adam and Eve were formed and created, they were created in perfection. We know that when they were formed and created, that God wanted fellowship. And he, they had uninterrupted fellowship and that that was the plan of God from the inception of man. And then sin entered in. Somewhere along the line, something happened. Adam and Eve took some fruit in disobedience to what God had said and sin entered in and sickness and disease came and the, the curses came and, and all of this, but that was never God's plan. And the whole reason that Jesus came, the whole reason that, that he was manifest on this earth was to take upon himself that sickness and disease. In Isaiah, it talks about how uh, he was marred more than any other man. And the chastisement of our peace was put upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. 
Some people don't even think healing is for today. But yet, the Bible says God's unchangeable. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's healing someone then, he is willing to heal you now. What gets in the way? This gets in the way. So here's this man. He's, he's been laid down in front of God. And everything is out of the way. Now he's all set. He's ready to receive his healing, right? But that's not where Jesus goes. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Why would he say that to him? Every one of us has a mental image of who we are. Every single one of us has a perspective of who we are. And based on that perspective, every one of us has an idea of what we deserve and what we don't deserve. Every single one of us has lines that say who we are. Um, in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that word issues, it actually means rivers. It means, it literally means a goings out. And it's, it means a ge ge geographical, geographical, <laughs> geographical boundary. Now, rivers were often used to decide where uh, property lines ended in Old Testament times. You know, like even when you read in, in uh, Genesis, when it's talking about the garden, it says it went from this river to this river, right? That was the lines where the property lines ended. In our case, our heart determines where these lines are. And what I mean by that is our heart determines how far that we'll go with God. Our heart determines how far we're going to allow God to, to come and touch us. Now, in this case, this person, this guy, has probably been taught by these religious leaders of the day that his parents or some, somebody in his family line has sinned somewhere down the line sometime Something has happened, and God has put this on him. And until that, that untruth is dispelled, until that is, is changed, until his thinking is changed, he's not going to receive his healing. Jesus could lay hands on him with the power of God, tangible and visible, and he is not going to receive. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus went into his hometown, he could not do many mighty works there except for save or heal a few people. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because they just thought, oh, that's just the carpenter's son. I remember him. He made a table. Oh, remember? Oh, yeah, we used to go to school with him. He was common. He was ordinary. They thought that they knew him. They had no idea who he really was. Well, this guy, he's laying on the ground, and he's been taught his whole life that the reason that he has the palsy, the reason he can't move, reason he's not a partaker of the things of God. Remember the first definition there of sin, it was uh, to withhold a share in. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm not a, a, a person of covenant with God. God did this to me. This is my lot in life. This is my purpose. God has to tell him, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately, what does that mean to him? I, could, I mean, when I picture this, I just picture this guy just breaking down and crying like a baby. Because every weight that he has is now released. Every, every reason that he's ever heard of why he's sick, Jesus has just released. That is what I mean by that first scripture, when you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
when he finally realizes that God is not imputing to him sin, when all of these things that he's heard don't really mean anything anymore, when he's been released from that bondage and now he's free, now and only now is he ready to receive his healing. See, that's, that's the reason that none of the Pharisees were going to receive anything. Because they were going to hold fast to their traditions. They were going to hold fast to their doctrines. Even when they heard the truth and the truth didn't line up to what they believed, they would still hold fast to what they believed. When truth comes, truth transforms. When, when truth is spoken, it is irrefutable. There's a, a quote, I was reading some quotes on truth, and, and it was talking about uh, Elvis Presley, of all people, says, um, truth is like the sun. You can ignore it, you can go inside and ignore it for a time, but when you come out, it's still going to be there. And you know, in, in our day, everybody wants to take the truth, take the word, take the things that are absolutely truth, and say, well, that's not true for this time. It's this way. It's this way. But no, truth will last from generation to generation to generation. And that's why the Word of God will always stand. The Word of God was true in the 1500s. The Word of God is true today. If the earth should continue into like the 4,000s or whatever, the Word of God will still be true. It's not going to change. Jesus is still the same yesterday, yesterday today, and forever. You know, a, lot of, a lot of the things that we read, like I, I made mention of earlier, they were written in a context of, of the current day, like the roof. We wouldn't think of the roof. We think of a roof. We don't think of mowing lawns on a roof. But when you actually read them and study them, the truth that's behind those things, they're, they're really still relevant. They're still really true. That's why today when you're reading Proverbs or something, all of a sudden something jumps out at you and the revelation of God comes and it explodes inside you and it answers a question for something that's going on today and yet the word was written, you know, a couple thousand years ago. It's because truth is always true. So, so this guy gets a revelation of the truth. He finds out who he is. He finds out that God isn't against him, that God is for him, that healing can be his. And what happens? So now we're at, what, verse 21. So let's go back to uh, Luke 5. So you guys getting anything out of this? Is this good? Okay. He said, so man, your sons are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees, what do they do? They're the ones who say that we know the truth. We're the ones who uphold the truth. The doctors of the law are the ones who said, we've spent our whole life studying these things, and these things should not be so. Who but God can forgive sins? They're immediately going to what they know. Who but God, and definitely you're not God, can forgive sins? Jesus doesn't even dispute that, because God is the only one who can forgive sins. Right? He's not operating in a pride where he's got to jump up and say, but I am God. <laughs> but he just says, why do you reason so in your hearts? He perceived their thoughts and he answered them. Verse 22, why do you perceive this in your hearts? What's easier to say, your sins be forgiven or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, but that you may know that I, the Son of Man, have power to forgive sins. Well, well, who has the power to forgive sins? We just said it, right? right. 
God alone has the power to forgive sins. So he is telling them, yeah, I'm God. And, and just to prove to you that I am God, just to throw your whole theology into, into check, just to twist everything that you think that you know, to give you a real heaping dose of truth, I say unto you, man on the floor, man who's never walked, man who's uh, under the bondage of sin, arise and walk. And now guess what happens? This guy that everybody knows who's been carried in, lowered down from a roof, made a spectacle, suddenly arises. Amen. Suddenly stands up. Amen. And what is you, what you, if you were a Pharisee, just picture for a second, you're a Pharisee and you've got all these rules. You've spent all this time studying all these things and you've, you've like tithed off the cumin and the mint. You, you're, you're like so dedicated to the things of God and these, this is the way that it is and you're standing there and you're seeing the physically impossible suddenly happen. Why do you think that happens to your mind? <laughs> Guilt, for sure. I mean, everything that you think you know, everything that you've based your life upon, everything that you believe in, you have just found out is untrue. Everything that you hold dearest. Doctors of the law have spent their entire life studying, and they think they know, and they've just found out you don't know nothing. What do you think is going to happen? No wonder they tried to kill him. Why do, you, why do you think they tried to kill him? Because he was disproving everything that they'd ever taught. He was threatening their way of life. The, they can no longer walk into the, into the marketplaces with their big old robes and their fancy clothes and, and receive the respect of people because everybody's going, man, you, you always taught this stuff, but... This guy over here is raising the dead. This guy over here is making people that have never walked before walk. This guy over here has the power of God. This guy over here, he forgave sins. And their whole world is shattered. But yet, the simple person, the person who comes in faith, he stands. He arises. And Jesus says, take your bed and go home. And I think about Peter and John going to the temple at the gate beautiful and the man begging for alms and saying, you know, give me, give me some money. You know, I'm begging, I'm begging, I need money. And they look at him and they say, look on us. And he immediately turns and he gives them attention, expecting to receive something from them. And they say unto him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he rises and he walks he doesn't just walk. He's leaping and jumping and running, and he's praising God through the whole temple. That's how I pictured this guy when he gets up. And you know what? That guy was alone, the, the beggar at the temple. He was alone when he went running out. But this guy had four friends with him. This guy had four friends who believed that the impossible could be done. This, this guy had four friends who brought him and dropped him in front of Jesus, and they maintained faith that could be seen by their actions. And they received what they wanted from God. We hear the word all the time. We have more faith than we think that we know. 
vote. What are we doing about it? I'll tell you the thing that bothers me the most. I cannot stand to see somebody in a cast. I hate that. I, if I, and this is going to sound weird, but I see people in like casts and stuff, and I can picture myself going up and laying hands on them, and I can picture them being healed, and I think, man, and it, like, it hurts my heart. But yet, I, honestly, I can only think of maybe one time where I've actually gone up and laid hands on people and had that happen. You know, just laid hands on him and believed God that it's going to happen. Why? Why is that? I've been sitting in this church for 20 years, and the word has been coming. Faith has been coming. I'm getting a picture of who I am in Christ. I, I know what's going on. But yet, you get out there, and you have the voices, and the voices are telling you it's not going to happen, and you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look like an idiot. At what point do we say, enough is enough. I'm dragging this guy up. I'm breaking through every barrier. I don't care what people are there. I don't care what people are around. I'm getting this guy in front of Jesus. Something's got to happen, right? So let's see. We covered all that. Twisted thinking. There's a guy named Andrew Murray. He was a missionary to South Africa um, in the mid-1800s, around 1850. And he wrote about 240 different books, really powerful books. Um, one of them was called Divine Healing, and I want to read to you a couple of things that he wrote. Um, so this is a quote from, from that book, uh, Divine Healing. It says, no, no, not by our own power, not by our own holiness do we obtain these graces, but by a faith, quiet and simple, a childlike faith, which knows, no, no, which knows that it has no power, no holiness of its own, which commits itself completely to him who is faithful, whose, almighty, whose almightiness can fulfill his promise. Sometimes it's hard to read those things from 1800s. But what he's saying is this. All it takes is simple childlike faith. It doesn't take a, a monumental move of God. It doesn't take hours and hours and hours of studying. It isn't the right words to speak. You know, the prayer of faith is not a formula. When James is talking about if you pray the prayer of faith, you know, bring, them to the, bring someone who's sick to the elders of the church and have them lay hands and they will pray the prayer of faith and the prayer, prayer of faith will save the sick and if they've been forgiven, uh, if they have any sin, it'll be forgiven of them. Do you notice that there's not a formula in there saying you have to say this, you have to do this, you have to incite the, you know, invoke the name of Jesus and you have to... No, it just says that they're going to pray for him. The words themselves are not as important as the faith that backs the prayer. And I think, if anything, take this. When you pray, it's based on relationship with God. When you operate in faith, it isn't how much you know. 
It isn't how much of the word that you have memorized, although that is very important because without the word, you have no basis for faith. But what is important is this, that you truly believe that what can happen, what you're saying can happen, can happen, that God can do these things. Not only that he can do these things, but he will do these things. You know, the lepers came to Jesus and they said, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And what did Jesus say? I ain't touching you. My fingers will fall off. No, he said, I am willing. And he laid hands on them. And you, you think about that for just a second. If, if you had leprosy and everybody was afraid of you and they made you live outside the town in the garbage dumps, no one ever touched you. No one ever touched you. You know how important the touch is to a human being? It's a great sign of affection. And yet Jesus said, I am willing. And then by touching him, he said, I'm not afraid of this disease because I have mastery over it. And he said, I am willing. Be healed. And they were. And they were restored. And that's the same love of God that he's implanted in our hearts. It's the same God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he quickens, he makes alive your mortal bodies. You have an unction from God. You have the power of the Holy Ghost. You have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Think about all the things when you read the Old Testament that the Old Testament prophets did. You know, you think about, who was it, Elijah's bones? Was it Elijah? They're running by and somebody dies and they throw him in on his bones and the guy comes alive. You, you think about, you know, Elijah sitting up on a mountain and the king's men come up to him and they say, you know, 50 men with him and they say, man of God, come with us. And he says, if I am a man of God, let fire fall from the heavens and consume you all. <laughs> Got a barbecue. And then the next guy comes up and man of God, you come with us. And he said, if I am a man of God, then let fire fall from the heavens and consume you all. <laughs> and then the next guy comes up and he says, oh, man of God, please <laughs> come with us. And he says, all right, I will. <laughs> but these are things that, the, that a man is doing without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are things that man is doing only with the hand of God upon them, the outside touch from God. Yet we have the power of God that lives within us. We have the Holy Spirit teaching us, showing us, instructing us, you know, one of, the, one of the things I taught a long, long time ago, and we'll, we'll pretty much wrap up, but one of the things that I taught a long, long time ago was uh, as many as are the sons of God, or as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That word led is the Greek word to go, and I don't know if you remember this, but it's talking about somebody who has like an animal, and the animal will just follow him. They just lead him wherever they go. And God has the reins of your life in his hands and he's trying to lead you and you can resist and you can rebel and you can buck and you can pull and I'm not going over there, but he has the hands. He he's just wants to lead you. And you have to remember when he's leading you that he is the good shepherd. And where does the good shepherd lead you? To the still streams. He leads you where you can be fed. He leads you where you can be watered. He leads you to a place of plenty. He leads you to a place of provision. He leads you to a place where you can be successful. I just think that it's so awesome when you think about this guy 
running off and his four friends running off behind him. I'm sure they didn't just march down, you know. And I'm sure, you know what? Remember those crowds that wouldn't let him in? How many do you think they, I'm sure there was just the biggest hole ever to let him out. That can be us. The same spirit, the same anointing that Jesus had. That, we have that. Our problem is the same thing as that man laying on the ground before he received. Our minds are in the way. Our theology is in the way. Our own thoughts are in the way. Who we think we are is in the way. And yet God is trying to lead us to do things for him. God is trying to lead us to touch the world and change the world and be impactful and love and reach out and look beyond what man is and say, you're, you're worth this price. You're worth this price. So, in conclusion, one of the scriptures that you hear all the time, and I'm not even going to have you turn there because you already know it, is Romans chapter 12. Anybody know which verses? Oh, come on. I'll make you turn there. Come on, Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does it talk about? Oh, everybody's turning there now. I caught you. First one who gets there, read it out loud. Amen. That's it. That's the whole sum of the whole thing. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And what is it going to take? It's going to take us changing our thoughts. It's going to take us evaluating the things that we hold fast, the things that we are, are looking for. It's going to take us finding truth. Remember the first scripture that we, I told you about? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this week, I encourage you guys to find truth. I encourage you to look at the things that you hold true in your lives and ask yourselves honestly, do I really believe this? Is this really true? And if it's not, then let it go. And if it's, if it's the word and you can't believe it, then ask God to help you and ask God to reveal it to you because he will. His word is like a fire. Amen. Amen. I can close? Okay. All right. Well, then, everybody, let's stand. Look at that. Didn't need them all the, all the whole service. Amen. Don't forget to continue to pray for pastors. 
them get filled up with the Holy Ghost and let them come back here with fresh insight and revelation, fire from God. Spark a fire in us. Bring forth change. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the for the insight and revelation that you're bringing forth. I thank you, Father God, that as we uh, go out into the world that we live in, Father God, and we encounter people, I just thank you that we're able to bring them hope and revelation, Father God. I just thank you that the light that that you have put in our hearts will shine forth brightly and it will dispel darkness. And Father, I ask that you would give us boldness, Father God, to, to do the works of God. I ask, Father God, that as we we see needs, Father God, that we meet those needs. And I just ask that you be with us, Father God, keep us safe, keep us preserved and sound. And I ask for your uh, great protection and peace to rest upon every person in the name of Jesus until we gather again. Amen.